to have a relationship, a close relationship with our Heavenly Father, like described in that song, is uh, one of the reasons you're here, to develop that relationship. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans 14, if you're really good, then turn also to Deuteronomy 29. <laughs> I'm going to read one verse out of Romans and then several out of Deuteronomy this morning. The month of January, I'm calling Family Month. And the reason is because we've combined our 9 o'clock service with our 1030. And so we found out that there are people in the 9 o'clock service that did not know some of the 1030 folks and vice versa. Well, I didn't like that. I wanted you to know each other. And so we, we combined the two, so this is a combination of the two. And so look around, you might see some folks you don't know. And it's not because they haven't been here. It's because perhaps they've been here for several years, but you just didn't know it because you were at the other service. And so it's just a good time to get a chance to meet each other. And, and uh, calling it family month, so every Sunday morning I'm bringing a message about the family. In Romans 14 and verse 12, Paul writes, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us, just, just, just look around, every one of us will give account. We may be a family member of an incredibly faithful and spiritual patriarch and matriarch. Mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, they have led our family and they're the ones responsible for this, 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 this faithfulness we are to church. So we can stand before the Lord and say, I belong to them. You say, that's great, but this now has to do with just you. It's just you and me. God says, just you and me right now, and so let's talk about you. Well, but, but, but understand, I was basing a lot of my qualifications upon my family, my parents, my uncle. They were really spiritual, so I just figured as long as they were really spiritual that I could kind of sneak in on their coattails because everybody knows how spiritual they are. They are so since I'm related to them, doesn't that count for something? God says, let me tell you a story about my people, the Israelites. <laughs> this morning we're going to discuss when a family provides a false security. I want us to pray, and then I'll share, you, share with you the thoughts I have in my heart. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and your blessing, and thank you for this opportunity. Lord, to meet together in this place, to share in fellowship, to sing praises to you, to worship you. And now, Lord, to hear from you as your word is preached, and I pray that you might fill me with your spirit. Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me direct your attention now to back to Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29. God is preparing the, the second wave of Israelites to go into the promised land. They blew their first opportunity, lack of faith. They refused to go in. 
The next 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness as one by one they died off, all those 20 and upward, 21 and upward. And so God is preparing them for entering into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 10, he says, Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, your captains of your tribes, your elders and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldst enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself, and that he may be unto thee a God, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I found it interesting how he broke it down. You're going to make a covenant now with me. I'm going to be your God. We're going to enter into this relationship. We're going to make a covenant. And I want to be your sole God. I want you to be my people. Let's enter into this relationship, this promise, if you will. But notice how he did it. He summoned the people. Come and stand before me. Who? Well, the captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, even the strangers that are with you, all of them come because I want them all represented individually before me. He mentions them all individually. He could have said, y'all come. And they would have known if all supposed to come. But he broke it down and said, I want all of you to come. I want you, you men, bring your wives. Bring your little ones, your children. Even bring the strangers. Bring everyone and represent them before me individually. God calls each individual to commit to him as their only God. All your leaders, all the men, well, your children, your wives, the strangers residing with you. 1 John 5.20 says... And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts 4, 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men where we might, whereby we might be saved. And then in John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. He will establish thee today, a people unto himself, a covenant I will be your God, solely your God. No sharing, I will be your only God. And then, I will be unto thee a God. I will be your God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 18 says, Lest there should be among you man or woman, notice the next word, or family, or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God, 
to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it shall come to pass, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, to add drunkenness to thirst. Then he says, The Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. He says, lest there should be among you a man or woman or family or tribe, whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God. I'm going to make a covenant with you, each individual. I'm going to have us, you and I, are going to have this relationship, this promised agreement, if you will. And then every man, woman, tribe, every family, each individual will face my wrath if you turn from that relationship. In God's roll call, family is no protection from God. But Lord, I'm from this family. Hear the Jews saying, but Lord, I'm from the tribe of Judah. And you know how you love the tribe of Judah. The Messiah is going to come through the tribe of Judah. I'm from that tribe. Family is no protection from God. The Lord will not spare him. But the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, individual. I see here a failure to respond. God says, I want to make a, an agreement here, a, a, a covenant with you. But if there's a failure to respond, we see God's anger and judgment. So if they refuse, they'll turn from God to serve the gods of the nations. If they refuse to enter into a covenant with Jehovah God, then they will turn instead as we watch the Jews, God's own people. As repeatedly, God would say, I'm going to be your God. And they would say, yes, sir. And then they would say, um, later, and they go over and worship other gods. They worship gods like, like, uh, like Chemosh, like Molech. These, these gods that were abominations. Gods used to worship by sacrificing their little infants. Bizarre. Instead of worshiping a God who promised to bless them, they chose to worship a God they had to sacrifice their children to. Turn from God to serve, it means to become enslaved as you worship these false gods. I see some evidences of some heart turners here. Those things that caused their hearts to turn from God to these false gods. First of all is, is deception, just being deceived. Deception can turn one's heart away from God. In Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. 
Then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Be not deceived. Why? Because deception can cause your heart to be turned away from God. Deception typically, typically occurs in our heart over our lusts. We become deceived because of those things that we're lusting after. Deception occurs voluntarily. In James 1.26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Oh, we're good at deceiving ourselves. We are masters of self-deception. We convince ourselves of so many crazy things. I really look good in this day. I didn't really hurt their feelings. They had it coming after all. We deceive ourselves. Oh, I can say no. I can say no. It won't bother me. I can get real close to temptation. It won't bother me. It won't bother me. Oops, I fell. We deceive ourselves. Deception occurs voluntarily. Deception originated with the devil. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. He's the great deceiver. He's a liar, the father of it. We sometimes somehow think, somehow think that, that he's not that bad. We can withstand his lies. We'll know the difference. We'll know if he's really lying, but that's all he does. Any association with the devil is lying. He lies. He deceives. That sin's not that bad. It won't hurt you. Nobody will know. Deceiver. Sadly, family can turn you away from God. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely, of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even on the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal him, notice, but thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die, because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. Unless you're worrying, no, we are not under that law any longer. But there's a principle taught here. How God feels about family that turns your heart away from Him. Family member that turns your heart away from Him. 
I wonder how many missionaries, uh, potential missionaries, have failed to go to a foreign field by being diverted from their calling by an overprotective family member. I couldn't bear to see you suffer. Because God's not strong enough to take care of you unless you're under my wings. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is not the Lord telling us we're supposed to hate people. The language has to do with comparison. Our love for Christ should be so dominant. We should love him so greatly that our affections for all other members should appear like hate because of the disparity. Unbelief can turn you away from God. Hebrews 3.12, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. I dealt with an individual many years ago now who went to Bible college, lasted a semester before having to leave because of financial issues, came up to the end of the first semester, and because he didn't have enough money to pay for the whole second semester, he quit. And he tried to convince himself that God really hadn't called him into the ministry, even though there was significant evidence that God had. Like, almost 40 years later, him still struggling with the Lord over it. Unbelief. Um, he talks about developing a root of bitterness, gall and wormwood. But by denying or refusing the Lord to make Him Lord, I see a blindness to that which is spiritual. Just unable to see. I can't see. Have you talked to a loved one sometimes and you share your heart with them? and You see it, you see it plain as day. To you, the situation is just black and white. It's so clear. You go to share your heart with them and they... I don't, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't see what you're talking about. Blind to it. In Acts 8, 17, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered the money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. This man saw the the supernatural working of the apostles and said, hey, I'm going to give you money so I can have that too. And Peter said, you are in the gall of bitterness. Bitterness in your heart. It's blind to anything spiritual going on. 
Simon here, the sorcerer, saw the miracles Peter was doing and equated them with the profitable business he had had before in the occult. All he could see was the money that he could make. Spiritual blindness. I see in developing a root of bitterness, I see relationship struggles. In Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Hurt feelings. Emotional struggles. Unresolved conflicts can all open one's heart up to bitterness. You and I, we must keep short accounts with God and with others. You hear of somebody, 50 years ago they said this, and I've never got, I'll never forgive them for it. 50 years, seriously? Seriously? Most times when I hear of something like that, I say, well, tell me, what was the offense? Well, I don't really remember what the offense was, but it really hurt. Didn't Jesus teach us something about forgiveness? Didn't he set an incredible example there on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, dear lady, has long been in heaven now, but she went through some real family hurts. And her adult son had done some things that were just atrocious. And he had spoken evil of her and fought. He had taken some money from her. And she got very bitter. And every time we'd meet together or she'd talk, come to a meeting or whatever, you know, I'd see her talking either to me or somebody else and First thing out of her mouth, first conversation piece was, my son, my son, my son. Her face would all cloud over and her, 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 her eyebrows would furrow. And, and she just so, just this spewing this, this ugly bitterness. And she was becoming a bitter old lady. It grieved my heart. We spoke about it. but She couldn't see it. She couldn't get past it. So hurt and felt like. It hurt her so badly. She couldn't forgive him. God did something amazing. God cured her of her bitterness. He gave her Alzheimer's. She forgot. No longer did she talk about her son's hurts. Sometimes she couldn't remember her son. Sometimes we enjoy a false peace when we refuse to allow God to be our God. We go into a, a time of false peace. Oh, but I feel, I feel peace about it. I feel, I feel peace. I've come to a peace about this decision. It must be right because I'm, I'm at peace over it. Oh, how many times have, has my heart broken when I hear somebody say that? They're going against a black and white scriptural 
principle. Oh, but I feel, I've prayed about it. I feel at peace. Deuteronomy 29, 19, when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart. No, I'm deceived, I'm at peace. Though I'm living in make-believe world, I'm at peace. Become deceived into believing that their current peace justifies their actions, causing their steps of depravity to hasten more and more, like a man insatiably drowning his thirst until he's drunk. Through the years, I've had the privilege of counseling young couples. I come, and oh, they're just so in love. So in love. All the world is flowers and sunshine. All they can see is the beauty. And music is so wonderful to them now. Ah, oh, he sees colors. He had never seen colors before. Now his favorite color is her favorite color. He starts speaking in poetry. This is incredible. But he's unsaved. And so we have a conversation. Bring out the passage. You shouldn't, shouldn't marry someone who's un, un, put you in an unequal yoke. Do you know what they say almost inevitably? It's okay, Pastor. We prayed about it. We're at peace. We prayed about it. We're at peace. So when my kids were young, my youngest daughter, bless her heart, we went through a time where I told her to go make her bed. So she ran in a bedroom, and I could tell she was doing everything but making her bed. So I hollered back there, are you making your bed? Oh, okay, I'll get to it, Daddy, I'll get to it. We went through that round several times until finally, after a little bit of coercion, she finally made the bed. So she came out, and she ran and jumped and hugged me. Daddy, I love you, I love you, I love you. Did you make your bed? No, Daddy, but I love you. I'm at peace. Everything's good between us. No, it's not, because you disobeyed. And just because we're in a state of peace doesn't mean we're right with God. If we're disobeying Him, if He's not our Jehovah God, if He's not first and foremost in our, in our lives, we're not right with Him, no matter what you feel like. Enjoying a false peace. If they refuse to go into this covenant with God, making Him first and foremost in our lives. It tells us what God will do. I will not spare Him. God will not spare He will not say, oh, pff, go ahead. God, you're a good guy. Go ahead. You've got a great sense of humor. Go ahead. Not spare him, but subject him to the anger of the Lord. In Deuteronomy 29, 20, Then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. In John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But notice, in the New Testament, it says, But the wrath of God abideth on him. By not making God my God, the wrath of God abides upon me. 
Anyone refusing to turn to Christ is already under the wrath of God. It says the wrath of God abideth on him. The word abideth here is in the present tense. It means it continues. It's a continual tense. It continues to abide. We're continuing to be in the wrath of God. God's cloud of wrath and indignation hovers over the unsaved, those who are rejecting His Son. That righteous wrath is amazingly counterbalanced by His mercy. Continuing to offer the unsaved His goodness, giving them every possible moment to get saved. Romans 2, 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? God has got us wrath, and that wrath is stored up for the unsaved, those that are denying him and refusing to trust in him. But because of his incredible mercy, he's holding back that wrath, giving the unsaved every possible opportunity to get saved. But if they die, not trusting Christ, they will face all of that wrath. And they will be subject to the curses found in the book. Deuteronomy 29, 20, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. I'm going to read it fairly quickly, but let me just read you a portion. Deuteronomy 28, 15, it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed be thou in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall thou be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy land, increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in. Cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly, because of the wickedness of thy doings, where, uh, whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee, until he have consumed thee from off the land, whither thou goest to possess it. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption, with a fever, with an inflammation, with extreme burning, with a sword, with blasting, with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish and thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass. The earth that is under thee shall be iron. He continues this same thing for 45 more verses. Curses, curses, curses. He talks about pestilence. We would look up pestilence. And a more modern version of the word pestilence is epidemic. Recent epidemics like the HIV AIDS, SARS, swine flu, Zika, monkeypox, Ebola, bird flu, coronavirus, COVID-19. You see, during the time that the Israelites were walking with God, they were free of all those epidemics. The Bible says, 
that he who refuses to enter into a covenant with God will have his name blotted out. Deuteronomy 29, 20, And the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Revelation 20, verse 15 says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oh, pastor, you don't really believe a literal hell where there's really fire and brimstone. For, you don't really believe that nonsense, do you? Yeah, I do. Because God said it. The final rejection of Christ causes God to erase that name from his book of life. I believe it is possible that rejection can occur long before they die. They simply refuse to believe. I've known folks who fought with conviction for years, finally deciding to reject it. They came under a false peace. They felt at peace and went to their deathbed, refusing to hear any more about Christ. Conclusion. You cannot hide behind your family. God holds each individual responsible for their own sins. Romans 14, 12, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us. Every one of us shall give account of himself. But pastor, I went to Hope Baptist Church. And you know how good a church it was. You know how we love folks. It was a good church. Everyone shall give account of himself before God. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Ezekiel 18, 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. In God's mercy, he makes provision for each and every sinner to repent. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God that is a loving God. For God so loved the world. We understand the love of Jesus. We understand that. But we fail sometimes to comprehend the love of the Father. We have this image that God the Father is in heaven. He's got his arms crossed. He's, he's frowning, stern look. He can't wait to say, you're going to go to hell. He can't wait for that. But that's not the God of Romans 3.16. The Bible says, for God the Father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. How much did God the Father love you enough to give His only Son to die for you? I see a loving, merciful God in our God. In Ezekiel 18, 21, 22, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, 
he shall surely live, he shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. And of course, we today find our righteousness not in our own good works. We find our righteousness in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness. We come by faith to Jesus Christ. We confess that we are sinners. Impossible to get to heaven. We by faith trust him and his finished work of Calvary. <laughs> Amazingly. God robes us with the spotless, righteous robes of Christ. No longer are we seen with our own wickedness. We are seen now as righteous, just like the Son of God. Not because of anything good in us, but because of everything good in Him. In His mercy, God makes provision for each sinner to repent. Achan could not hide behind his family. God singled Achan out. Hophni and Phinehas could not hide behind their family. God singled them out. Absalom could not hide behind his family name. God singled him out. I grew up in a preacher's home. My dad was a preacher in a church all my growing up years, my early years. So I was a PK, preacher's kid. And let me tell you, there are all sorts of stories about PKs, and most of them are true. I was around church all the time. For a number of years, we lived in the, in the parsonage right next door to church. My folks left me sleeping in the pew one Sunday because they forgot me. Most of my time was spent in church. But I could not hide behind my parents' spirituality because I was going to give account of myself before God. And I remember vividly as an 11-year-old coming to grips with the fact that I was accountable. I was, no longer could I just assume I was okay because they were good. I had to get things right between me and God individually. And so I ask you today, who are you hiding behind? And I don't mean right now, you can't see me. <laughs> who are you hiding behind? If you were called to heaven right now, your heart stopped and your spirit was in front of God. What would your defense be? My parents were so religious. Boy, if you knew my grandma, my grandma was so religious. We're here to talk about you right now and you alone. Has there ever been a time in your life where you came accountable to God and you recognized that you yourself, not your parents, not your family, not your church, you yourself were guilty as a sinner. And recognizing that guilt made you understand that you could not get to heaven because there's no sin in heaven. Zero. 
and you recognized the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind, and you came to Jesus by faith, and you confessed to him that you were a sinner, and you trusted him and him alone to forgive you and to save you. Oh, pastor, I don't have to do that because I'm a good person. Pastor, I don't have to do that because I've lived a good life. I'm always in church. I give to the poor. I don't have to do that. I can hear Jesus say, You called me Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. Depart from me into everlasting punishment. But Lord, I'm a good person. No, there's none good. No, not right. No, not one. None good. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. And except for the saving grace of Jesus Christ and coming to Him by faith, then each individual will answer for their wicked deeds. So I ask you again, who are you hiding behind? Do you know 100% for sure that if you died today, you would go to heaven because you came to Christ individually, you confessed your sin, and you trusted Him to save you? Have you been saved? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Believing in Him, not living a good life, that's beyond us. We can never be good enough. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And my message will be done. But what a waste of a time for you if you came here not knowing for sure that heaven is your home and you did not trust Jesus Christ in this moment. Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for recognizing the condition of man. And at the Father's request, willingly volunteered to offer yourself a living sacrifice to pay for the sins of mankind. And what a horrible, horrible ordeal you went through. You became sin for mankind. You who were eternally holy willingly accepted the filth of man's sin. And Lord, you ask us but that we believe in you. It doesn't seem fair. You did it all. But Lord Jesus, I pray right now that you might speak to hearts. And if there be anyone here this morning that does not know for sure that they might come to the saving knowledge that you died for them. If you're here this morning and do not know for sure that heaven is your home, in the quietness of this moment, sincerely in your heart, you could call out to Jesus. And you could express your heart by saying something like, Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. 
Now, would you forgive me? As I'm trusting you and you alone to save me. With no one looking around, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder, anybody right now, did anybody right now reach out to Christ and trust him in this moment? Did anyone, put your hand up so I can see that. Anyone trust Christ right now? Anyone say, dear Lord, I am a sinner trusting him. Anyone? Let's all quietly stand to your feet, please. Everyone standing. I believe the Spirit of God has spoken to hearts this morning, and I don't want to stop this time until you have done business with God. Perhaps you are saved as God your God today. Have you been living your life as with God directing you, developing a relationship with Him? When was the last time that you and He had an intimate time together? If it's been a while, would you come back to Him right now? Would you tell Him that you're coming back? Ask Him to forgive you for the absence? Dear Lord, I thank you for your love, your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for this time. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking to hearts. Would you continue the work you've begun, I pray, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.